$5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code SAVE to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most, because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'll be covering the case of Bruce Dodson in Montrose, Colorado. Let's get right to it. In 1995, Vietnam War veteran John Bruce Dodson was working as a lab technician at Delta Memorial Hospital in Western Colorado. He was brilliant, compassionate, and loved by all who knew him. Hardworking and responsible Bruce had been perhaps a little unlucky in the romance department, and at 48, he was single, had no children, and had never been married. But that would all change in the summer of 95. According to Oxygen.com, Bruce fell hard and fast for former co-worker Janice Lee. Side note, it's spelled like Janice, but apparently Janice didn't like that pronunciation, so everyone called her Janice. Weird flex, but okay. Anywho, she and Bruce had both worked at Delta Memorial Hospital together, but Janice had since taken another job at a different nearby hospital. Janice was a nurse, according to friends and co-workers, a great one who was loved by all her patients. She had two children, a daughter and a son, and was married for 25 years to the love of her life, local ranch hand, J.C. Lee. And J.C., well, he wasn't just the love of her life. According to her friends speaking to Oxygen.com, J.C. had rescued Janice from a rough home life. Janice was raised in Houston, Texas, and her upbringing wasn't exactly all sunshine and roses, and she was looking for an escape. So when she met J.C., the pair packed it all up and headed to Colorado, where they settled down and built a life together. Jobs, kids, a home, the whole nine yards. But in 1995, Janice was going through it. Her 25-year marriage had just ended. Her husband, J.C., had left her for a much younger woman. According to some reports, it was actually a friend of their daughter's. There's an episode of Snapped, Season 26, Episode 5, detailing this case. According to that episode, while Janice was married, she always dressed conservatively. You know, long sleeves, hair pulled back in a bun, no makeup. But once scorned by her former husband, 
everything changed. She began to wear makeup. Her clothing wasn't quite as conservative. It seemed she was in the market for a new man in her life. It wasn't long before she had set her sights on Bruce, and he seemed to fall head over heels for her pretty quickly. I mean, after all, she was a beautiful nurse, and their romance? Well, it really was a whirlwind. In July of 1995, they were married. It was a ceremony for the books. Janice, being the Texas-raised outdoors woman and hunter she was, actually had a headpiece made, shaped like a hunter's hat, all white and covered with lace and tulle a veil flowing down the back. Everyone ate, drank, and appeared to be merry. And just like that, Janice Lee became Janice Dodson. But this marriage would have no happily ever after, because just three months after the I do's, Bruce would be dead. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. At first, everything appeared wonderful. Bruce finally had someone to share his life with. And Janice... After such a messy divorce, had someone to help her put the pieces of her life back together. Bruce helped her get her finances in order because the divorce had been financially draining. And it seemed he helped her heal her broken heart. He was such a kind and compassionate man. It was no surprise that Janice found comfort in Bruce's arms. Three months into their marriage, Janice planned a trip for she and Bruce and the Uncompagre National Forest. According to Uncover Colorado, the forest is vast, spanning nearly a million acres, and the views are breathtaking. I mean, ain't nothing like the southern Rockies against a blue sky. You can bike, boat, camp, fish, ski, and pretty much any outdoorsy activity you can think of. During hunting season, big game hunters from all over flock to the area in the hopes of bagging a deer, elk, mountain goat, bighorn sheep, moose, black bear, or mountain lion. And that's what brought the Dodsons there. Well, mostly Janice. She was a very experienced hunter. And Bruce? Well, not so much. This trip would actually be his very first hunting trip, and his family and friends were surprised. Because that just wasn't Bruce at all. But it was Janice's thing, so maybe he was just taking interest in his new wife's passion. You know what they say, happy wife, happy life. And so the pair were off to camp and hunt on opening weekend of the hunting season. But things would go south quick and in a hurry. According to ABC News, on October 15, 1995, the second day of the season, an off-duty officer, Doug Kyle, heard a woman screaming. He ran towards the sound and found a woman crying hysterically next to a man lying on the ground bleeding an orange hunter's safety vest at the man's side. Kyle asked the woman if that was her husband, and she responded, Yes, that's Bruce. You've got to help him. But Bruce Dodson was beyond help. Kyle checked for a pulse and didn't find one. It was clear that Bruce was gone. The off-duty officer took off in search of a phone. Remember, it's 95 and we're in the wilderness. Cell phones weren't really a thing yet, so Kyle went searching for help. He found a phone and called authorities and headed back down to the scene with a Mesa County deputy. But when he returned, he noticed something. Well, a lot of somethings were different. For starters, Bruce's body had been moved. When Kyle initially arrived on scene, Bruce was lying face down. But when he returned, he had been flipped over and was now lying on his back. 
Janice had also covered Bruce with a sweatshirt. She told them it was to keep him warm until law enforcement arrived. And his face. It appeared to the officers that Bruce's face had been wiped off. Kyle told the Mesa deputy, Well, this is different. This is not the way I left this. Again, according to Oxygen. More law enforcement officials arrived, and they began processing the scene. At first glance, it appeared this was a hunting accident, which statistically happens about a hundred times each season. Maybe another hunter had mistaken Bruce for a game animal, and this was just a very tragic mistake. But why then had Janice found him and not the hunter? And why was his orange vest lying beside him? Why would he take his safety vest off? It didn't take long before things just weren't adding up. Police asked Janice to walk them through exactly what happened leading up to her finding her husband's body. She told them that she and Bruce had woken up around 5 o'clock a.m. to head out on an early morning hunt. And there's some conflicting reporting on what exactly the plan was for that hunt. According to ABC, Janice told investigators that she was to head up the hill to flush out game, while Bruce waited in a meadow down below ready to shoot. But according to Forensic Files Now, the reason Bruce and Janice split up that morning was because they were looking for separate game. He wanted to hunt deer, and she wanted to bag an elk. Regardless of the reason, the pair went their separate ways. They were supposed to return to their campsite around 9.30 a.m., but Janice informed the officers that she came back earlier to change her boots and overalls because she had walked through a nearby bog and she was muddy. Not long after changing, she found her husband lying on the ground. When police pressed for further details, Janice became so upset she fainted and had to be airlifted to a nearby hospital. With that, law enforcement was down a main witness, so they turned back to the scene. And again, things just weren't adding up. A rifle and three spent shell casings were found next to Bruce's body, but it was obvious Bruce didn't shoot himself since it would later be revealed that the shell casings found next to Bruce didn't match the caliber of the gun he was shot with. According to ABC News Go, a fence post nearby had been struck with a bullet, so investigators traced the path of the bullet and discovered the location from which they believed the shots had been fired, a single spent cartridge from a 308 which didn't match the gun either Bruce or Janice was hunting with, was found in that location, some 80 yards away from where Bruce was found. And then things got really murky when investigators learned that Janice's ex-husband, J.C., had also set up camp to hunt in the forest. In fact, according to ABC News, his camp was less than three-quarters of a mile away from Janice and Bruce's camp. Coincidence? We don't believe in those here. And that didn't make any sense. With a million acres to choose from, what are the odds that Janice's ex-husband would be camping less than a mile away? And why would they set up camp practically on top of each other? There's a million acres to choose from. Hunters don't typically want other hunters anywhere near their spot. But JC had an alibi. His new girlfriend and a co-worker confirmed that they had been hunting with him at the time Bruce was shot. Nonetheless, investigators were growing hella suspicious of J.C. Lee. With each passing minute, it was becoming more and more clear that Bruce's death sure didn't look like a hunting accident. And when the autopsy was complete, 
and Chief Medical Examiner Thomas Canfield released his findings, there would be no doubt that John Bruce Dodson was the victim of a homicide. And Dr. Canfield actually knew Bruce, as Bruce had worked for him in the lab at the Delta Hospital. The two were friends. Dr. Canfield spoke on an episode of Forensic Files titled Muddy Waters and revealed Bruce hadn't been shot once or twice. He had been shot three times. This was no accident. He was also able to determine that the shots were all fired from a significant distance. And remember how his hunter's vest had been found at his side? Well, based on all the evidence found at the scene and the wounds on Bruce's body, investigators pieced together what they believed had happened. And it went something like this. Bruce was walking along a fence line when the first shot was fired. That bullet pierced his clothing, but only grazed his skin. Investigators believe that Bruce then took off his bright orange hunter's vest and began waving it around so whoever was firing at him would realize that he wasn't a deer or an elk and instead a fellow hunter. And that should have been the end of the story. If this had been an unfortunate mistake, it would have been. But whoever fired that shot wanted Bruce dead. So they fired another. This time, it struck Bruce in the chest, and he began to fall. And as he fell, he was shot once more. The third and fatal shot struck that fence post before hitting Bruce in the back. And there was something odd about that third bullet recovered from Bruce's body. Investigators knew the other two bullets were 308 rounds. They had recovered one of those two bullets in the grass beyond Bruce's body. But that third bullet... It appeared to be a 243 caliber round. And again, that round didn't match the guns neither Janice or Bruce was hunting with. With two different caliber bullets, were there two shooters? I mean, friends and family reported that Bruce didn't have a single enemy that they knew of, much less two people that wanted him dead. What the hell was going on? And while Bruce nor Janice owned a 308 rifle, you know who did? Janice's ex-husband, J.C. Lee. In fact, he owned a 308 rifle that he said was stolen from his camp. Well, it must have been the night before Bruce was killed, but he didn't realize it was stolen until he returned home from his hunting trip. Some of his Nosler brand 308 ammo was also stolen, which oddly enough was the same brand as the shell casing found at the crime scene. According to ABC News, when Janice spoke to detectives, she told them, quote, J.C. didn't care for anybody I ever dated, even after we were divorced. Things weren't looking good for J.C. Lee, but he insisted that he had no reason to want Bruce dead. He did have an alibi, but he refused to take a polygraph, saying those things were unreliable. I mean, he isn't wrong. And further, he made statements that conflicted what Janice had told investigators. According to Oxygen, J.C. told them he was happy in his new relationship, but he wasn't so sure about Janice, because just weeks before she married Bruce, J.C. said he had received a strange visit from his ex-wife. He told detectives that she wanted to reconcile with him, but he just wasn't interested. And Janice's friend seemingly confirmed J.C.'s account when she spoke to Snapped, 
saying, quote, She told me she loved J.C., and even when she married Bruce, she loved J.C. because he was her soulmate. But Janice swore up and down she had nothing to do with the murder of her new husband. She did agree to a polygraph, and while she stuck to her original story, she did fail two questions on the polygraph. Investigators definitely had their suspicions, but they couldn't directly tie Janice, or anyone for that matter, to Bruce's murder. Or at least not yet. The years drug on. A year passed, and then two, and then another. Booth and Martinez were the lead investigators on the case, and they were nowhere near giving up despite the time that had passed. In fact, according to forensic files, for three summers following the murder, when the snow would melt away, they would camp in that area near the crime scene and look for the 308 rifle that Bruce had been murdered with. On their third summer, they took along volunteers from Necro Search International, which according to their website is a volunteer team that assists local law enforcement in the location of clandestine graves and the documentation and recovery of evidence. And they've been doing so since 1988. Well, on this trip, they were again searching for the missing weapon in a pond near J.C. Lee's campsite when a NecroSearch volunteer pointed something out. The pond near the campsite was a stock pond, and it was lined with bentonite clay. He remarked how unusual it was to have bentonite clay in the middle of the Uncompagre National Forest. And why was that unusual? According to LoneStarBarrett.com, sodium bentonite is a natural mineral clay formed from volcanic ash and transformed through many years into a clay with absorbent properties. It is extracted and milled down and the powder is used as a pond leak sealer. Since the bentonite absorbs water, a muddy substance is created when that clay hits the water that helps plug holes, cracks, or crevices in the ground and holds the water in the pond. It's commonly used to seal stock ponds, ponds on golf courses, and ponds used as water sources for farm animals. It's natural and therefore doesn't harm the plants or animals. And since Colorado isn't exactly known for its volcanoes, bentonite doesn't naturally occur, and this would have had to have been brought in. Besides, there's a whole process of extraction and milling that has to take place, like we just talked about. Fun fact, according to VolcanoDiscovery.com, because y'all know I had to look it up, there is one lone volcano in the Centennial State. The Dotsero Mar Volcano is located in northwest Colorado in Eagle County, and it is the only volcano in Colorado that has had activity in the past 10,000 years, and it's miles and miles away from the crime scene. Volcanoes, clay, ponds, bentonite— these all seem like very odd things to be talking about, but that bentonite clay would prove to be a major break in the case. Here's where it gets real good. Later on, during that camping trip, Investigator Booth remembered something. Something very important. Remember Janice's initial story to police about going back to change at the campsite because she got muddy when walking through a bog that morning? Well, Investigator Booth remembered that too, and he remembered something else. Janice's clothing had been sitting in evidence since the day of the murder, and so he sent it off for a little forensic analysis. 
And guess what the mud from Janice's clothing contained? Yep, you got it. Bentonite clay, which would not have been present in the bog where she claimed to have gotten muddy or any of the other bogs or ponds in the area that investigators gathered samples of, but would be found in that stock pond right next to her ex-husband's camp. The sample from the stock pond and Janice's clothing was an exact match. Janice had been caught in a huge lie. She wasn't where she said she was. This evidence placed her in the immediate area of where the murder weapon had been stolen. But what about that 243 round? If Janice had shot Bruce with JC's stolen 308, who had shot him with the other gun? Did she bring two guns? Was there ever another gun? Investigator Booth was about to discover that answer in the most unassuming way possible. He recounted to Forensic Files how it all went down. He was at home flipping through a gun and ammo magazine when an ad caught his eye. It was an ad for the same brand of ammunition found at the crime scene, Nosler 308 rounds. His jaw hit the floor when he saw a photo depicting the small inner core of the bullet. That is exactly what the fragment of what was initially identified as a 243 round looked like. He went out and got some Nosler rounds himself and cut the outer copper casing off in his garage. And there it was, the inner core, and it looked exactly like the bullet removed from Bruce's body. When that bullet had passed through the fence post, the outer copper jacket had been stripped away and the inner core was all that was left when it struck and killed Bruce. Investigators went a step further and sent the 308 round and the fragment off to the FBI. An analysis was performed comparing the metals contained in the bullets, and ding ding, it was a match. This wasn't a 243 round, it was a stripped 308, and both bullets were from the same batch. After three long years, everything was coming together. According to the Montrose Press, in October of 1998, a warrant was issued for the arrest of Janice Dodson for the first-degree murder of her husband, Bruce. But Janice was no longer in Colorado, and she was no longer Mrs. Dodson. Not too long after her husband's murder, she had moved back to her hometown of Nacogdoches, Texas, and remarried a man named Bart Hall. On Thanksgiving Day in 1996, at the Chapel of Flowers in Vegas, which was just a little over a year after Bruce's death. She was arrested in Texas, extradited back to Colorado, pled not guilty, and awaited her day in court behind bars. Five years after Bruce's death, the trial began, and prosecutors began to lay out their case. The account of the prosecution's case comes from a mix of Prosecutor Frank Daniels speaking to Forensic Files and a book he wrote about the case titled Dead Center, The Shocking True Story of a Murder on Snipe Mountain. Prosecutors believed Janice had planned to murder Bruce almost from the day they got married. But why? Why would she marry Bruce to turn around and kill him just three months later? As it turned out, Janice had almost 500,000 reasons to want Bruce dead. 
You see, investigators and the district attorney had known something all along. Immediately after marrying hardworking and financially well-off Bruce, Janice began taking out multiple life insurance policies, totaling near a half a million dollars. And remember, it's 1995. That's a chunk of change. Bruce was frugal with his money, and Janice, well, not so much. And if he wasn't going to freely give her the money she wanted, perhaps she'd just take it. So that fall, she cooked up exactly how she was going to kill Bruce and make off with the cash. And you know, J.C. Lee running off with a younger woman really pissed in her grits. So she devised a plan not only to kill her new husband, but to frame her old one. She could get rid of them both, Bruce dead and J.C. locked up. So she planned a hunting trip. She knew exactly where J.C. Lee would be camping. He'd been at that same spot every year for the past 20 years, like clockwork. So she chose a campsite just a short distance away from where she was sure he'd be. At some point on opening day, while J.C. was away, Janice then made her way to his campsite, walked along the stock pond as not to be detected, stole the 308 and the ammo. She didn't own a 308, and neither did Bruce. Police wouldn't suspect her, but perhaps they'd suspect J.C. The next day, Janice went hunting alone, but she wasn't hunting a game animal. She had her sights set on her husband of just three months. She hid, waiting for Bruce to walk by. And when he did, she shot him three times. When she fled the scene, she accidentally forgot one of the shell casings. She ran off to dispose of that rifle somewhere in the vast Colorado wilderness, never to be found. After the stage was all set, she discovered Bruce's lifeless body and screamed like a banshee until someone came to her rescue. She screamed over Bruce's lifeless body, Why weren't you wearing your vest? All the while she knew. She knew he had tried to save himself. She knew Bruce removed his vest to let whoever was shooting in his direction know that he wasn't an animal. That first shot didn't wound him. She could have stopped, but she didn't. Instead, she looked through the scope and shot him two more times. When that off-duty officer ran for help, she altered the scene. And when the questions got hard, she ramped it up another level, fainted, and was so distraught she had to be airlifted. Can't answer questions if you're not conscious. After her hospital stint, at some point, she claimed to investigators that she was going to her cousin's home in East Texas to grieve. But a financial investigation determined that was a lie. And old Janice was in Lake Charles, Louisiana, gambling at casinos. Everyone grieves differently, I suppose. Some use the profits from the life insurance at the slot machine. And as if murdering Bruce Dodson wasn't enough, she added insult to injury. According to Bruce's brother, as he spoke to Forensic Files, the day after Bruce's murder, she took his name off the mailbox of his home. And that wasn't all. She threw all of his belongings away, sold his horse, and oh yeah, had his dog put to sleep. 
Who even does that? And she didn't even respect Bruce's final wishes. Nope. See, Bruce wanted to be cremated and have his ashes scattered in Leadville, Colorado. Well, Janice did drive to Leadville, opened her car door, and dumped his ashes on the side of the road. No ceremony, no family present, no kind words spoken, nothing. I guess she figured dumping her husband's remains on the side of the freaking road was good enough. Oh, and that new husband of hers, Mr. Hall? Wouldn't you know, immediately after the two tied the knot, you guessed it, six-figure life insurance policies were taken out on him as well. In her defense, well, she took a page straight out of Shaggy's playbook with the whole, it wasn't me. The jury deliberated for three and a half days while everyone held their breath and hoped and prayed justice would finally be served. And it was. Janice Dodson was found guilty of first-degree murder. On March 20, 2000, she received a life sentence without the possibility of parole. And while she didn't take the stand in her own defense during the trial, she did speak to Primetime's Chris Cuomo after her conviction. She maintained her innocence, stating, I still do love Bruce Dodson. The only way I can live with this is that I have the peace of knowing that I didn't do it and the prayer in my heart that someday the truth will win out. According to court documents, in 2002, Janice filed an appeal citing everything from error in jury instructions, due process, to a whole bunch of other bull hockey that I'm not going to waste your time with because on April 11, 2002, the appeal was denied. Janice Lee Dodson Hall is now known and for the rest of her life will only be known as inmate number 104430 at the Denver Women's Correctional Facility in Mesa County. John Bruce Dodson will forever be missed by those who loved him. He will be remembered as the kind, compassionate, intelligent, hardworking man he was. His memory lives on through his family and friends. As always, you can find more information about this case or any other on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these. New episodes drop every Thursday. Make sure to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. I'll be bringing you an all new case next week and you won't want to miss it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.